Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. At this time, it is such an absolute joy to speak with a chef, uh, an entrepreneur, a woman of so many different, interesting facets, uh, you know, somebody with an energy level and a creativity that really is unmatched today. Food Farms and Chefs, big welcome to Chef Tony Lorraine, uh, Dr. Brownie's uh, PhD in uh, chocolate and all good things. Tony, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Great pleasure to have you. It is my pleasure, my my pleasure to be here. So, Tony, before we get into real things, you have this really interesting, diverse background. We were just talking a little bit about off the air. Um, you know, you while you deal in right now, your business is about plant based, and I don't want to say brownies because that is an absolutely incorrect thing. They are brownies, but they are delicious, rich, incredible. You would never know that there's not eggs and butter and all good things in them. Before we get into that, you were in food trucks and in catering and food and teaching culinary classes and all kinds of other things. Tell our listeners how you got started in all this. So... I've always had, you know, an interest and some stake in the food industry. Um, I think the pivot was back when I sold my restaurant in 2003 that was here in Philadelphia, and I also had a restaurant in Jamaica and sold it in 2003 and decided that I wanted to just be a stay-at-home mom. But 2008, did another pivot, and we decided to open another restaurant, and I was like, no, I don't want to open a restaurant. I'd rather a food truck. And so I've actually had my food truck since 2008. The food truck industry is a very unique uh, situation. You know, you you have to have the great relationships. You have to have a unique product. You have to be able to market yourself. You have to be able to talk. You have to be able to anticipate the best and worst on a day-to-day basis. So probably set you up a lot for you know, what was to come. So what was the the pivot from going into the restaurant world and doing some Jamaican food and a lot of your online classes for Jamaica to getting into plant-based? So, you know, just like many other businesses, when I call it the panorama, because we got to see the world in a different view, uh, hit in 2020, man. Um, It was just, you know, I had just left my corporate job as an HR executive, and I have six kids, and one of my kids is vegan, and he said to me, he was like, you know, mom, I really like your brownies, because I was, you know, known for this brownie, and they called it candy crack, and I said, well, honey, candy crack isn't plant-based, and he said, well, fix it, chef. (laughs) Ah. So I literally took a year of recipe development and decided as I'm, you know, along the way, I realized that there were no refrigerated brownie mixes. They were only dry. 
And so in the midst of creating something for my son, I realized that I'm also creating something for the world, for people who want convenience and they want food inclusivity at the table. If you have a dietary restriction, you know, you can't, I have a gluten-free mix and it's ready to bake and I have a regular mix, but that plant-based genre for me really opened up my eyes to say, listen, we could really save the environment and, you know, lessen our footprint, our carbon footprint by eating plant-based stuff. And I think dessert is the best gateway to do so. It's very funny. I, I recently talked a little bit about this. I worked many years ago and, and learned and studied under a great macrobiotic vegan chef here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed because the, the common misconception when we start talking about desserts is that you talk plant-based or vegan or macrobiotic or any of that is that oh, that's going to be terrible. And your brownies and Lindsay's desserts were absolutely out of the ballpark different. You know, they're they're rich, they're sweet, they're, you know, the texture's perfect. And I actually think in all actuality, they're moister than, than many other, you know, things that are not plant-based. Um, so, you know, was there a lot of research, trial, and uh, error? Did you work under anybody? How did you attention to have the amazing products that Dr. Brownie has? You know, I think that I tell people this all the time. I didn't have to go to culinary school like most people. Um, you know, I, I learned by being in the kitchen. I learned by testing. And a lot of people, and I've worked for many chefs in my day, and I realized is that, you know, sometimes school keeps you in a box and it, it limits your creativity. And so because I have no limits, um, I'm able to experiment with anything and everything. And, um, you know, it's just for me, it was just research, just research. That's all. Research, trial and error. And my kids have had plenty of errors to eat, man. <laughs> yeah, but there, that's usually a good thing, I, you know. We can't really complain about that. Uh, you know, those those errors are good ways to go. But, you know, going into it and you started, you know, having this idea for Dr. Brownies and the plant-based, and obviously you, know, you were the first ready-to-pour batter on the market for brownies, um, mm-hmm. you know, something that – and when you realize, you know, you were dealing against people like, you know, Pillsbury and, and, you know, all these big companies out there, and, and you came up with this idea. So, you know, kudos to you, and, and what a great sense of satisfaction it is. Um, what were some of the obstacles that you had to overcome to, you know, to put Dr. Brownies where it is on the map now? You know, I think that as I it's interesting. I have to, you know, really interject my dissertation because my dissertation, the name of it is called Black Women Entrepreneurs, Scaling Ain't Easy. And what happens is, you know, black women start more businesses than any other demographic. However, they don't scale. And so you ask me the question, what obstacles? There are plenty of obstacles that I've had to overcome and I still have to overcome. And I think that with regardless of color, I think the finance is a huge obstacle, and I think that municipalities, you know, local towns and local ordinances, you know, aren't as nice to small businesses as they could be. You know, I'm just going to give you a for instance. Let's say there's a small business, and we have a lot of small business incubators, but the incubators aren't 
structured in such a way where a small business can truly thrive. And so I've had to overcome, you know, permits and, and financing. And, and, you know, I think every small business has had to overcome that. But people have to also realize is that when people say, I started a business with nothing, most people are telling an untruth because they've had family or relatives. See, I don't have that. It's only me and the six kids of mine. That's it. If they're not doing it and I'm not doing it, it's not happening. It's just, just what it is. So I hope that answers your question, Rod. Well, and, and that leads me to, and I was hoping we would segue into that, one of your great passions and something you're deeply involved in, uh, unrelated to food or related to food and the fact that it deals with entrepreneurial individuals is you know your work with the Bowman Foundation for Workplace Equity and uh, Mental Wellness. So first of all, tell our listeners what that organization is really about and you know what why you got involved in it and you know what it's done for you as well as what you've done for it. So the Bowman Foundation for Mental Health was started by Natasha and Kent Bowman. And it really dives into, you know, her mental health, mental health in the workplace. You know, I just told you earlier in the interview that I left the workplace in 2019, right before the pandemic happened, because I was mentally stressed out, mentally stressed out. And so the foundation is really bringing that to life and really helping organizations help their employees with their mental health. That, that's like, there's no organization without people. That's the bottom line. And if your people don't have good mental health, they can't function. You're not going to get that discretionary effort. So when the foundation started, I definitely signed on as a secretary of this foundation. And as a matter of fact, as we're speaking, the book launch for her new book is happening right now in New York that I'm unfortunately able to attend. But her third book, Natasha, is literally, um, you know, right now launching that but really helping organizations really think about how can we support our employees in their mental health? Does that mean giving them an extra day off? What does that look like? It looks like different. It's different for every person. And so really having, uh, you know, um, a strategic plan in place is really important. And that's what we do with the Bowman Foundation. So while we had this and, you know, me being shameless, and I think in this particular situation it fits, where can people get more information about that book and where can people get more information about this much needed resource? Because in my world, which is the hospitality world, it really is everything. Listen, you know, I've been in this hospitality business over 30 years, over 30 years. And I know that most chefs, we have issues. We have mental health issues. And one of the things that, I also know is that the hospitality industry is one of the most forgiving, right? And so if we as a hospitality professional can really look at saying, you know, how do we support their mental health? Well, you know what? You can go to the bowmanfoundation.org and you can sign up for Natasha's newsletter. And we send out a plethora of information for organizations. I kind of help organizations in the hospitality realm because I've been an HR executive in hospitality for so long. I've been a chef. So I had that really mix, a unique mix to really help people, you know, help organizations move forward. And plus, my PhD is in organizational development. So they can definitely go to the Bowman Foundation.org 
or they can shoot me an email at brownies at drbrownies.com. Thank you. And, you know, what you just talked on a little bit, we're going to get back to brownies in just a second, but, you know, how many people in, in our industry, and you know this, you know, look up and are inspired by people like Anthony Bourdain, who I love Anthony Bourdain. I love him as a storyteller, uh, had an opportunity to meet him with a, a tremendous individual, but he succumbed to the mental illness that is not that uncommon in our industry. So we have to be careful because so many people put that on a pedestal and I'm like, whoa, slow down. He didn't really do anything to take care of himself or there weren't resources around him. And maybe we should all learn from that and focus on the big picture, not just the storyteller part. But that's my rant and rave and soapbox for today. So I'm going to move on to talking about, you know, Dr. Brownies. And I love, you know, the, the whole idea of Dr. Brownies with a plant-based thing. It just adds to like, it's something so unique and it really is. And I'm going to focus on one that I recently had, which was a prescription number two. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to tell you folks, you're looking for something for Mother's Day for mom. You want to tell mom you love her. You want to be around for a long time and take care of her. Get her prescription number two, you know, five brownie pops and four pieces of chocolate. That's what mine was. Don't know if that changed any, but oh my goodness. It was like decadent to die for. I have the worst job in the whole world because I have to research all this stuff and, you know, find out what's going on. But, you know, what's the inspiration or you just kind of the creativity behind, uh, you know, what you're doing and, and creating what you're doing. So, you know, like I said, I have six kids. And one of the things is that I have a son who has been in prison for 10 years. And he loves popsicles. And he loves brownies. And I decided to create the brownie pop. And, his, and, and so Dr. Brownies is not just a brownie company. It's not. It's about community. It's about supporting returning citizens. It's a, but brownies are just, desserts are just a vehicle <laughs> to right, do right. that. You know, that's just a vehicle. I feel happiness. I tell people that all the time. I, I feel happiness. And so really thinking about, and as you're, you're bringing it back to Anthony Bourdain, you know, that mental health aspect is, is what I really think about what we eat things too, because what you eat it's, it, you know, it translates in your body, right? And so if we can support something that also supports the environment, it's really important. But for me, the creativity that I have really truly comes from my kids and, you know, my experiences as, as a woman and as a black woman in this industry. And so if I could support anyone along the way and, and you know, serve up a little happiness and, you know, help people reduce, you know, reduce recidivism and help these returning citizens get gainfully employed with livable wages. That's what Dr. Brownie is truly about. If I wanted to walk away with this interview with anything besides the BowmanFoundation.org is to know that DrBrownies.com is, we're selling happiness out here. <laughs> well, and that's a wonderful thing. So I'm, I'm hoping, and if you don't already know this, but 
you know, the Brown family who owns many of the shop rights in Bucks County and things like that, they are very big on um, helping, you know, people who have been incarcerated find greenful employment and do a lot. It's one of the projects that they're very big on. And, you know, I'm hoping to, in the near future, one day, walk in and see, you know, Dr. Brownie's mixes in their in their store if they're already not there because that would be such a, a great collaboration between two incredible organizations that see the need for people to have you know gainful employment and opportunities to you know just get better after a mistake you know exactly. and, and and move on and do things like that so you know very inspiring on that in the last couple of minutes we have, where can people find Dr. Brownies? Where can we come in and, and order them? Where can we get them online? All the different places people want to get amazing plant-based, you know, good for the environment, incredibly decadent desserts. So you can go to drbrownies.com, drbrownies.com. And we also have a, a satellite site at Cheesy Vegan, which is in Woodland, PA. We also sell our products at V Marks the Shop in South Philadelphia as well. We'll have other outlets coming, and our website will be uh, updated in the next couple of weeks because we are in Target's Retail Readiness Accelerators currently with 29 other phenomenal people, and we were the only person picked in Pennsylvania this round. Well, absolutely. That is fantastic news and much deserved because, as you said, not only do you sell happiness, but you help give opportunities, and that's something that the world really needs. And I love the fact that, you know, that Griffin connection we were talking about, you know, I represent Chester Hill Griffins not as an alumni, but as a, a strong supporter. And you, here you are, Grandin Missing, Grandin Mercy Griffin, but also another organization that you're deeply involved in um, and helping you know, support and do that. Hey, and a St. Joe's Hawk. I mean, doesn't get any better than that. I don't know if there's a, you know more of a person who can claim Philadelphia roots than you. St. Joe's, Glenn and Mercy, and all you're doing in the community. Tony, thank you so much for all you do. Folks, look her up. Tony Lorraine, PhD, Dr. Brownies. Find them, support them. Taste them, and you'll not stop eating them. So thank <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com or arpolicus at gmail.com. Food Farms and Chefs uh, wishes to welcome our next guest, who, as though is a a Philadelphia area native, grew up in the area, uh, went and really uh, got an opportunity to do a little bit of uh, learning and cooking in different parts of the country before coming back to Philadelphia to really create a truly unique concept um, or to be involved in a truly unique concept, something that's very important to him. So before I get into that, let's uh, give a big welcome to Kyle Berman, chef 
at uh, Co-op Philly or Study Hotels. Uh, Chef, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Great pleasure to have you. Happy to be here, and thanks for having me on. Chef, you have uh, uh, you know a very unique um, concept in the fact that while you list as a co-op, it's not anything like we all think as a, a shared space to uh, eliminate <laughs> costs and do things like that. You know, a co-op as as uh, you kind of described it is you know community celebrating you know diverse cultures, flavors, ingredients that are native or indigenous to the Philadelphia region. Truly, a unique concept of you know bringing. Um, respect to the heritage of the foods that are region. Tell our listeners a little bit about how you got involved in that, the passion behind that. Uh, so I joined uh, the study hotel team a little over a year ago at this point uh, because of the relationship we have with Drexel University being on their campus. Uh, you know, co-op is a very big thing with Drexel University, so it's a good homage to uh, you know, the university that we have such a good relationship with, as well as, of course, paying homage to the indigenous cultures that have all settled here, uh, people who have, you know, come and called this area home. So, yeah, I, the concept itself, co-op, has kind of been around from a little before. We refined it a bit when I joined the team to reflect more mid-Atlantic cuisine, really trying to get American cuisine kind of distilled down to seven states in this particular region. So I've always been pretty passionate about local you know, cuisine as much as I could. I love the history behind it. And you know, I, wherever you're, you're working, it's always great to try and use the products that are closest to you, just for quality reasons and, of course, to be a good part of the community itself. Yeah, and, and I want to, for our listeners, as we go into this, I want to make really clear the distinction when we talk about this whole co-op or idea of you know, paying respect to the heritage of foods. This is not fusion cuisine, and this is not a gimmick. This is, you know, authenticity, and it, and it, at its deepest roots, really, um, that's it, very important. Um, you know, you you have a really impressive, you know, restaurant or background. You were the executive chef at Philadelphia Distilling. You were with Fearless Restaurant Group, which is an amazing restaurant group. You were Paramore. You know, tell our listeners how you got involved in the food and the culinary world, because your degrees, uh, you know, through Temple and Westchester, are not reflecting of that. <laughs> that is very true. So, uh, like a lot of my compatriots in the uh, culinary field, kind of fell into it. I was in undergrad at Temple University for a business degree, and ended up kind of catching the bug there, ended up getting a job uh, at a local restaurant in Southampton, kind of a friend of the family and, you know, just means to make money and then just really, really liked it. And I was working long, long hours there while going to school, but on our off hours, you know, cause I'd, I'd close down the, the restaurant and the owner and chef at the time, uh, cookbook, I said, yeah, you know, you, Use our kitchen, use our ingredients, and you know, learn. So I kind of went through all the mother sauces, went like took that text and kind of went cover to cover, try to do as much as I can. When we were a little slower, so that was kind of my uh, own self-teaching right there to kind of set me off. And from there, just kind of kept going. 
you know, it is a really, truly uh, addicting industry. And I have a very similar story, you know, getting out of you know, college and, okay, go back to what I do. I grew up in the restaurants and, you know, you never leave and, and things like that. But you know, your travels took you around a little bit. You were in Louisiana, you were in Chicago, you were to some different places, you know, through all that. What did you gather from those travels that you brought back here to, you know, incorporate into what you're currently doing? Well, I mean, like every chef out there, kind of you're a product of where you've worked. Uh, and the great thing is, yeah, I have had the chance to travel around and you know, kind of get to see different areas, different cuisines, which I loved. Uh, you know, working in places like, like New Orleans, you really get a sense of you know, place, uh, you know, having Creole and Cajun cuisine right there. And so many different people kind of settling there and the influence that they had on that food. The restaurant I was at in New Orleans, restaurant August, their big thing was trying to use as much product in the area as possible. We would get in whole animals and break it down from, from local farms. We would get as much product in from local farms. We change our menu to reflect that pretty frequently because, of course, you know, as kind of crops wax and wane, uh, you know, we're kind of susceptible to you know, that. So the menu changed up frequently, and we really tried to showcase as much of that. And I got, I really fell in love with it there from the uh, chef Michael Galata at the time has gone on to be a James Beard Award nominee and open up other restaurants in the New Orleans area. But he had a big passion for that, and he really instilled that in us and kind of kept that going. And then got a chance to go to Chicago and kind of refine my techniques there. And, yeah, I kind of kept going. But the good thing is that a lot of the chefs I've had the opportunity to work for, including chefs in the Philadelphia area, it's become an important facet of our this entire, you know, <laughs> entire field uh, that the more product you can use locally ends up yielding a better product for the guests in the end, right? Less travel time, uh, peak freshness. So it, it kind of works for both the guests and chefs alike, you know, kind of getting hyper-regional ends up yielding some really great results. You know, and, and it, it's, are we, you're of the, you know, similar age bracket. I, I'm a little bit older than you, or probably a lot older than you, but, you know, to watch the industry change now to accommodate that too. You know, years ago, you ordered produce, you ordered produce from whoever they got, whatever. Today, you'll get, you know, weekly spreadsheets from your produce provider about <laughs> local ingredients that are available. You know, this is what's local. And if I call them up and I say, you know, whatever, it came from this farm or it came from that farm. And, you know, the, the names of the farms now are locally on there, not, you know, dull pineapple. It's, you know, it's, it's very specific locations. And, and really it's good to see that because it really is true. You know, when you can create something that that is just from, you know, 20, 30 miles away, it has those flavors. And people talk about Philadelphia food, what makes a what makes a great Philadelphia cheesesteak? They say the roll and the roll is so good because of the water here. Well, it transpires <laughs> into all those other ingredients too. Absolutely. So tell our listeners Oh, I'm sorry. So tell our listeners at Study Hotel if I come in for dinner, what kind of things am I gonna see that are, you know, so unique and, and part of this formula that you have? I am so sorry. Um, I'm, the connection we have is a little weak. I had a hard time hearing you. Oh, Can you uh, tell our listeners as we come in to study hotel for, for dinner, what kind of 
uh, menu items are we looking at that's you know part of this formula? So because we're focusing on mid-Atlantic cuisine, we're trying to pay homage to a lot of the different cultures and cuisines and peoples that have kind of settled in the area you know, since the 1800s. So we're trying to take flavor profiles and uh, dishes that, you know, kind of people know as a reference point, just adding a small little twist to it to kind of refine it, that touch just to you know, show our own style. And of course, you know, showcase the you know, great produce that, that we're getting in from the Pennsylvania and New Jersey and mid-Atlantic area. So dishes like our linguine and clam, right? I mean, it's kind of a South Philly staple. And of course, it's an American Italian staple, right? It's, you know, <laughs> linguine bongole. So we're taking a very classic kind of reference point that everyone knows, linguine and clams. That's a, you know, something that people have a very good reference point for. And then we just take it and we try and refine it. So we're getting these really awesome clams from um, middle New Jersey. We're making our own you know, pasta and kind of extruding it in-house. Uh, we make a really good, you know, just kind of this garlic, white wine, uh, chili flake. I'm calling it a stock. That's kind of, kind of a, basically a tea that we steep all these things in. And then we fortify with butter and more herbs. And, just try to take a classic, do it really well, and pay justice to the you know, reference point that everyone knows and loves. And there's other dishes on the menu where we're just trying to showcase really good products. That we're getting these awesome you know, small chickens from Lancaster that are great. Uh, so our roast chicken just kind of shows that. Basically just you know, pom fondant or you know, roasted Yukon potatoes and uh, kind of this potato leek creme de, de brambam, just a really good chicken jus and some great local mushrooms from Kennett Square. And the thing that people don't realize, I, I love to point this out to everybody, that the Mid-Atlantic region, I, I guess short of California, is so unique because we have so many great growing areas. You know, we have Lancaster County, obviously. We have Chester County, but we have the Delmarva Peninsula. You know, we have Jersey Produce. You know, we have so much. And then you get to grow up North and you get into New York, and then you get down as far as, you know, um, pigs and other things out of Virginia and that things like that. We're just blessed to have what we have here. And you really, you know, just showcase that. Uh, do you have favorites you like to work with? Uh, I mean, I'm, as you pointed out, it's a really diverse you know, region ag agriculturally. So I get to pull a lot of you know, products that I absolutely love. I mean, I, who doesn't love awesome peaches? Who doesn't love corn and blueberries? Stuff that this area grows so well. Uh, mushrooms, I absolutely love. Uh, you know, we certain grains that, that grow well here. So, I mean, there's so many good products. I actually love the fact of seeing the seasons kind of, you know, come, come and go, right? I mean, the uh, you know, beautiful kind of small asparagus that pop right up at the beginning of spring or you know nettles and kind of, kind of move into you know, summer where killer watermelons and peaches and all the awesome fruits and vegetables and going into fall with gourds i mean it's the cool thing is that because we are so diverse and because it's a mid-atlantic region so it's not just pennsylvania we can actually go a little further south below the mason dixon to maryland and virginia and west virginia so we kind of get a good mixture of a lot of different produce and it's awesome so <laughs> uh as far as Personal you know, things, I absolutely love con Concord grapes. I love blueberries. I love corn season. In fact, I try and use every part of the corn as much as I can, down to silk and down to you know, the stems and the husks. Like we, we really try and showcase every part of it and really you know, give the product the respect I think it deserves. 
which you know, and, and things like you know, so many, and that and that's drawing from you know so many other cultures, like you know, foreign house people talk about you know the the you know the leaves that the house coming outside. You know that that was the wrapping for tamales for years and years and years. It you know still traditionally should be, but you know you really do bring all that to light in in what you're doing. Do you have anything you know any coming up into now coming into the summer uh, things going on that you know, would really interest our listeners to hey you know I gotta go in and try that. Uh, so we are. Uh, we're getting together. We haven't launched it yet, but we are planning on doing kind of a special menu for each month, uh, June, July, and August in, in the summer, kind of showcasing products from, from this region. So uh, we're going to focus on uh, really awesome Jersey heirloom tomatoes from for the first one. We're going to do three dishes kind of showcasing that, and then we'll move into you know, the, the next month. It'll be awesome blueberries, and then we're going to move into corn. So it's Again, I use those. I actually love those ingredients. They're so versatile. And we're gonna you know, try and showcase them as much as we can. And I think that that's pretty cool. So in the summertime, when everyone might be going on vacation and you know, business drops down a little bit, we're trying to still have our team creatively engaged and pushing, and we're still trying to do fun things that should harken to summer. And hopefully, people will still be able to kind of make it into the restaurant you know, between vacations and when they have a little time uh, to have some of these great products that come out during that time in Philadelphia. One of the other things that you do so well there is you also pay respect to the different melting pot of heritages we have in this region. So it's not only ingredients, but it's cultural diversity and, you know, bringing in, you know, the neighborhood feel and, and who's in that area. Uh, is that something you always had a passion for or that this whole thing was wrapped around or did you, you know, kind of just happen into this and really refine it? I mean, this idea of, you know, food being authentic, I, I always find fascinating. It's an interesting topic to, to talk about. But joining the team at the study, um, especially with the name Co-op, it became a really salient point that we had to focus on. So I actually really tried to go out of my way to it's super old cookbooks from like the 1800s and trying to you know, get a sense of, you know, uh, kind of what some of these people who were coming from different areas and settled here were you know, cooking uh, and what, what they were using. But as you pointed out, it is a melting pot. I mean, really America, well, North America as it you know, itself is kind of a nation of immigrants for the most part. There are indigenous people there and we try and, you know, pay homage to them as well. But with the people who've settled and kind of brought their own, influence from, from from their homeland and kind of came here and settled and then it became its almost own thing so i mean american cuisine itself is an amalgamation of a bunch of other cultures and cuisines that all settled here and kind of made its own thing which i i always find fascinating so to get that even more hyper regional kind of focusing on the mid-atlantic area basically takes american cuisine distilling it down to you know, this area and kind of showcasing just <laughs> kind of what uh let's say um you know crab you know dish in from from maryland might taste like versus the rest of the country or uh, pe pepperoni rolls from like virginia and west virginia kind of what's specific there or even just philadelphia i mean a cheesesteak that's hyper you know, regional to hear i mean everyone has a philly style cheesesteak but ours is a little unique just because you know we're here uh, and it's specific to us so i mean i i really do try and pull from as much of that as i can the great thing is because there are so many people here it gives me a lot to work with <laughs> 
it's kind of yes, nice. Yes, yes. That's that And you in West Philadelphia, uh, all the cultural melting pots of the city, you know, in the city. I mean, West Philadelphia is such a unique region itself. Oh, yeah. So tell our listeners where we can find more information about the menus, where the study hotel is, and, and you know, all the relevant stuff that they can uh, use to come out and have dinner and have a great night out you know, in the University City area. Oh, so I mean, you can absolutely go to our, our website or type the study hotel in Philadelphia and our website will pop right up. Uh, we, are, of course, are on all the social media outlets. Uh, try to keep, keep up with that. So feel free to check us out, Co-op Philly uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, and of course, if anyone has any questions or ever you know, wants to you know, reach out, feel free to call us or email us. Uh, we, we absolutely get, get back to you pretty quickly. Our general manager, Nicole, and the rest of the team will respond back very fast. Chef, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to somebody who is local and you know went away and now brings back their passion and their excitement and their enthusiasm for food back to this region. And, and uh, I'm sure when you left, Philadelphia restaurant scene was a little different than when you returned. Uh, so, you know, now you're making that mark and you're taking it one step further. So thank you for that. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, the Philadelphia scene has really come a very long way. I, I love it. It's such a great place to be right now. Thank you for having yeah, me on. Yeah, it's come a long way from like the Fountain of the Beck Bend and, you know, oh, yeah. of the thing, and, you know, to what we have now, you know, throughout the city. So many local, small immigrants and all that are making their way into you know, becoming James Beard nominated even. So, you know, what a wonderful what a wonderful thing for the city of Philadelphia. Thanks you, Chef. It was a great pleasure. Look forward to uh talking again. And uh, when I get down to the study hotel, I'll stop in and say hello. Please do. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blum and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Okay. At this time, Food Farms and Chefs is so excited to showcase not only a chef and owner, but somebody who truly knows what it is to get your hands dirty and really forage and produce the products that you're eating. Chef Chris Amendola, owner of the Forest Eatery in Baltimore, Maryland. Chef, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Awesome. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to talk to you guys today. So, Chef, you have, like, a really, really impressive resume, and I'm going to let you go into it in a minute but a couple of the things that I loved that were on there. One, you know, you were a chef at Blue Hill at Stone Lawrence, one of my favorite places in the entire world. And I know our listeners have heard me talk about how amazing Stone Lawrence is as, you know, a research facility, as a teaching institution, as a place where people can learn about seasonal crops. But, you know, you also worked as a farmer at, you know, in South Carolina and as a consultant for farms and you list among your resume and I love this. I, I this is I'm so envious of this title professional forager. So how did you get this passion and interest? Where did it come from? 
Yeah, it's you know, it's it's kind of wild. I I grew up down in Florida, so I, you know, down there we didn't have a whole lot of exposure to working with local farms at the restaurant that I was working at down there, um, you know, or even foraging for that matter. But I, I nowadays I know foraging down in Florida is you know definitely something special. But at the time I was younger and didn't you know didn't really know that. But um, you know, it wasn't until later in life I moved to South Carolina and. Um, was working for a restaurant up there and they had their own farm and uh it was it, that experience as a whole just changed my entire life you know your passion besides food that you list is is bigger than for being in the woods so you know i guess being in the woods you were inspired to say hey you know is that edible could i eat this uh you know did you have some uh a mentor or some books or you know, I mean, we all like to think that we can forage, but you could also get yourself in a lot of trouble doing that as well. You know, where did you learn that from? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely, especially getting into the world of mushrooms, it's, you know, it's definitely a dangerous game to get into. But um, I guess uh, when I was working for the chef in South Carolina, I uh, kind of took me out a couple of times and showed me some things. Uh, and that kind of like really, really sparked my interest. Um, when I was younger, I uh, got my hands on the French Laundry cookbook when it had come out. And, you know, there was a whole section in there about how forger brought in mushrooms and, you know, forge stuff. And, you know, I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. I'd love to be able to, you know, learn how to do that one day. And uh, it's hard, you know, learning how to forge. Uh, a lot of, you know, professional forgers don't want to take you out, um, you know, because they don't want to give up their spots. And um, luckily, I was able to meet um the head forger for i'm not sure if he still is but he was at the time uh the forger for the mamafuku uh restaurant group uh up in new york and uh he, he took me out a few times and you know showed me a bunch of mushrooms and what to look for and um you know stuff like that and you know, after that i was just i was hooked i was addicted um so anytime i had off from work i would uh, just go wander around the woods and, you know, have a field guide with me and look at all these mushrooms and, um, you know, do my research on them. And I mean, it was probably a little bit easier for me just being in the um, restaurant world the majority of my life, you know, seeing a lot of these mushrooms um, and plants through through the through the restaurants, um, you know, kind of helped me be able to identify them uh, a little bit easier out in the woods. But you know, there are still, there's still instances like nowadays that, you know, I see a mushroom and I second guess myself, even though I, I know what it is, you know, I know it's completely safe, but it's just, uh, you know, it's different seeing it out in the woods. Sure. Sure. Because you're seeing it in that growing cycle all the time. So, you know, it's not the textbook picture of the mushroom in maturity. It could be, you know, a smaller, younger version. You can get a little discoloration. You know, you know oh, so absolutely. many things that will affect that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and but you know, you you brought this now back to you know Baltimore and the suburbs. You know, in that and created this local seasonal. I want to say hyper seasonal is a word I saw on the website. And I really like that term. You know, and then looking through your menu of what you're doing, and I'm I'm going to talk about a couple things, and then. You know, the part that, you know, wants me to come and, and set up a cot in the kitchen. But, you know, <laughs> the, 
you know, your focaccia with grilled ramp butter and mar you know, and marinated radishes. I mean, ramps are you know, so such an incredible you know delicacy this time of year that are locally available, and most people don't even know what they are. That's the sad part about that. Like, what a delicious, delicious thing. You know, ramps yeah, absolutely. Are sweet flavor that they bring. And nobody, you know, nobody knows to go get them. And you know, I mean, years ago, I remember the cookbook uh, that I that I had as a little kid because I loved to be a nature. Was called Eat the Weeds, and uh, oh, that's a good one. Know, and it, and it was, uh, you know, it, it talked about that. It had ramps mentioned and things like that, and, and how wonderful that is. And you know, people, uh, uh, you know, think back to those early days back in the '60s when people were pushing these movements. As people, oh, what are they talking about? You know, why why do that? You can go to the convenience store, and today now it's come full circle. But then you know, you, you know, you got your cornmeal fried happy oysters, you know, and that in itself has you know, a little ramp puree. But you you tie in a a great local bacon to make a bacon jam with that. I mean, oh. Like, you know, that's something I could sit there and eat by the plate for, I'm sure. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're so delicious. You know, I think, you know, ramps in themselves, they're just, you know, special. And no matter what you put with them, it's going to shine, you know. And uh, this time of year, I just want ramps on everything coming out of wintertime and, you know, all root vegetables and potatoes and stuff like that. And I really look forward to this time of year and cooking, being able to cook this time of year. It's amazing. And, you know, being from the Philadelphia region and, and Kenneth Square not being too far away, you know, much to my wife's just, you know, just because I often talk about wanting to take her to the Mushroom Museum out there. But when I was growing up, there was a restaurant in Reading it was called Joe's. And Joe was a forager. And uh. it was Joe's Wild Mushroom Restaurant. And he ran a successful restaurant forever, but mushrooms were his passion. And you would have mushrooms on so many different courses. So when I saw your mushroom stew, but then you add in that poached egg and, and your house-made regatta, I'm like, oh, like, that's just like a perfect harmony of, you know, rich and woody and earthy and, and sweet. Like, that just covers all that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely one of our house favorites. Um it was never supposed to, never one of those dishes that was meant to stay on the menu and become kind of a staple, but, you know, randomly it did and happened like that. And I'm pretty sure there would be riots on Baltimore streets now if I took that off the menu. Um, that <laughs> actually really fascinates me throughout the year. You know, obviously, you know, wintertime, it's mostly cultivated mushrooms, but um, come you know, mid-summer, uh, when mushroom season is full-fledged, we've, there's been times we've had uh, 17 different varieties of mushrooms in that one dish. Um, and it sounds really weird to eat a mushroom, like a nice hearty stew in the middle of summer, but I'm telling you the flavor of this stew, like mid-August, is one of the most um, complex dishes that I've ever probably eaten in my life. It's just that dish changes so much throughout the year without ever really changing in a sense, like the base of it, you know, just depending on the, the mushrooms that we get. 
and it just it blows my mind. Well, as I was telling you before, I, you know, one of my close friends is a is a chef and a, and a wine expert in the, in the Baltimore region, and his big thing is about pairing wines. And I think I might have to challenge him to you know, reach out, contact you, and do something where you know, okay, because I look at that dish there, and I'm like. Wow, we could pair like so many different types of wine with that dish. Jerry, oh, where yeah. you go? Like, let's do a dinner together. You know, you Jerry, you you get involved in the wines, and you know, let's go with this because, like, I'm like, wow, where would I even go with like that? That dish is, you know, there's a sweetness and a richness and a savoriness and an earthiness and just all that stuff going on. Absolutely. You also, your menu is very unique where. You know, you take this even to some of your desserts and in aspects, and you know, I was particularly drawn to the carrot cake because I'm a fan. But when I read the final line of the carrot cake with a brown butter and glaze, I was like, okay, like this is a whole new realm now of of things like that. So, are you the mastermind behind the pastry? Do you have a pastry chef? Yeah, I got somebody that, uh, you know, that works with me on it. Uh, I kind of let him take, you know, pretty much control of it. Um, I throw ideas and stuff like that at him, but uh, he does a phenomenal job. You know, that carrot cake is so delicious. Um, you know, right now the carrots left over from wintertime are so sweet, um, just from being in the ground and being frozen. Um, and it's just, it's it's a great thing on the menu right now as well. <laughs> So how often does your menu change? Uh, coming in this time of year, quite a bit. Um, it's never like a full-on menu change. Uh, but we change things as, you know, things come into season and things are going out of season, you know, and depending on what we get. Um, for for us at the restaurant, it's, you know, I know a lot of chefs will write, write out their menu and then go source that product. Um, but for us, it's, it's more... You know, what are we getting from the woods or what do our farmers have or, you know, what are, what, what are our water watermen have that, you know, they're pulling out of Chesapeake Bay and, you know, just kind of then start writing our menu around that. Um, so it keeps it fun. To me, it keeps it exciting. I mean, how do you get, like, sleep in? Because not only are you the chef, but you're the person who's really, you know, talking to your vendors and, and talking to your watermen and, you know, your growers and, and your small farms and getting all that information probably from 30 or 40 different vendors a week. You know, oh, yeah. when do you finally try to do anything? <laughs> yeah, actually, on top of that, I also uh, operate the business. So <laughs> it's yeah, quite yeah. a bit. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a super awesome team that, you know, stands with me and, you know, helps me with a lot of things and, you know, um, allow allows me to do what I want to do, and with a restaurant, you know, it uh, it's just I'm very blessed that way. So we're going to talk about the part of your menu that, as soon as I saw it, I was addicted, and I, I texted my wife. I found a restaurant. We're making a road trip. <laughs> so I I live by if I could be, if I had to be on a desert island and I could only have one animal with me, I would want the pink. And you know, as I, I joke with all my friends, you know, pigs are my superhero because they can take cartridge <laughs> and turn it into, into bacon. And Absolutely. you have a section of your menu called pig parts. 
And I just love it. You know, you explain it out. Here's all the different parts. Cases while we cook them, you know, they take on, they usually, you know, to scratch. And everything from, you know, the trotters, the snout, the ears, all the way down to a pate, a moose. Uh, tell us about that inspiration. Yeah, uh, you know, for me too, like pigs have always been one of my favorite animals, you know, one of my favorite meats, me, just all in general, one of my favorite animals. And, you know, I, I truly believe that, you know, every part of the pig is edible. And, you know, for us at the restaurant too, you know, a big part of it is this, this animal has lost its life to, to feed us. You know, and so we don't want that to to go in vain. So we we try and use as many different parts in uh, different ways as, as possible. And um, you know, we had started off with just doing the pig head with the snout and the jowl and you know stuff like that. And then you know, I was like, oh, why not expand it? Let's see how far we can, you know, how far we can really take this. And uh, it's been it's been a very fun uh, adventure to go on. Of you know all these different parts and different cooking, different cooking methods and stuff like that. And people love it. It's, it, it, they, they get a kick out of it. You know, when I, when I find a restaurant locally that has like the jowl or the cheek meat on it, it's someplace I'm going to go back to, you know, several different times because that that's such a great traditional meat that people don't, they don't do anymore. They don't understand it. And it's such an incredible flavor to it. And you know, oh, yeah. the, the point where I'm going to tell our listeners where if you have a delicate stomach, you may not want to hear this, but you know, a slow roasted baby pig, the eyeballs, the eyes are, Oh, they're just incredibly gelatinous, but incredible flavor. Like, yeah, you said it. The animal gave its life for us. Pay homage. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We we had a so, we had a table come in um, this past Saturday, and they were actually in two days before that, and uh, ordered like half the pig part section, and then came back in Saturday and ordered the rest of it because they wanted, you know, they were curious and wanted to try the entire pig part section. I was like, that's amazing. That's you're the exact kind of people that I love having in my restaurant. <laughs> Absolutely, that's that's the way it should be. People who were you know, want to experience that. And, and you're taking them back to really the roots of our nation from a food perspective. Like Americans, I think we lost track of where we came from. And, oh, you know, you're right there in, in Baltimore. So you got, you know, the Southern Mason Dixon influence with the Mid-Atlantic influence. You know, and, and I mean, pigs are such a vital part of that. Absolutely. So what what are we going to look forward to now as as we get into you know coming into June? What do you think we're going to be seeing? That you're going to, you know, we're going to start to see fiddlehead season coming in. I'm sure you'll have some of them as we come in. Uh, you know what, what what exciting things can our listeners look forward to? Yeah, these next couple months are super exciting. Um, you know we're coming into mushroom season, so as it warms up. Uh, obviously chanterelles and black trumpets and, you know, all those great, uh, things will start coming in the season and, um, things I always look forward to, obviously are fruits. I can't wait for strawberry season. That should be here and relatively soon. And then, 
you know, tomatoes and oh my god, I can't I can't wait. All the summer stuff. I just can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're in such an exciting region with Chesapeake and the Delmarva Peninsula, you know, you can draw from, you know, a little bit of, you know, southern southern central PA and then, you know, western Maryland. I mean, you know, you have so much to draw from where you're at. It has to be such an incredible opportunity to talk to those farmers and experiment. Do you go out to the fields and, and sample and try and do that with local farmers as well? Oh, absolutely. I, I try and get out to our farms, you know, as much as possible, uh, especially if I'm working with a new farm. You know, I want to go check out, you know, what they do and how they do it and, um, you know, stuff like that, and especially our animal farms. Uh, you know, I want to make sure these animals are having, you know, a, a great life. And, you know, one one farmer actually put it in perspective to me one time and said, uh, you know, our pigs have one bad day and they don't even know it. <laughs> That's that's an incredible statement and how wonderful that statement is, you know. As I tell people all the time when they have breakfast, that I, I'm very much, when I find a restaurant that, that pays respect to breakfast, because I think Americans, we oftentimes just, breakfast is a convenience thing. So when I find somebody who really pays respect to, you know, simple things like pancakes and bacon and, and doing it right, but you know, when they say, you know, when it, if you're having bacon and eggs for breakfast, you know, the chicken is involved, the pig is committed. You know, <laughs> that that is very true. <laughs> so, you know, he's there for our, our, our enjoyment. So, Chef, as we're wrapping up, how can people find out more about your incredible restaurant, about having a dining experience there, and what you're doing, and just all about the exciting you know, lessons people can learn by coming to your restaurant. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, Baltimore, we're down in uh, Station North District. Um, we have our website, uh, forgedeatery.com. Uh, our social media, it's forge.eatery on Instagram uh, and Facebook. And, you know, just follow us and for updates and check out what we're doing. Oh, I will certainly be down. It's, I, as I said, I told my wife as soon as I saw your menu, it, you know, it's a destination, and she knows me well enough that, you know, I've driven to Pittsburgh for a sandwich, so, you know, I'm not above uh, World Scripture food. I kind of, we, uh, after all the years we've been together now, we plan our vacations around what we're going to eat and drink, so, you know, my side of the family is going to be uh, involving one at your restaurant. We're very excited for it. Our listeners should be uber excited for what you're bringing to the Baltimore area. And if you're heading down to Baltimore, if you're going to Inner Harbor this year, if you're going to be down in that region forever, for any reason at all, just plan a trip over and have an incredible dinner. Uh, you know, thank you for your time. Um, I know you probably interrupted your day off on a Monday. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's all good. We yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I and I can't wait to come down and have an opportunity to meet you. Thank you, Chef. Oh, look forward to it. Thanks.